HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com. Welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Akiko Tema, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes deep understanding Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from our studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every deal in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, mame, and izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I will try to demystify it in this program with my good guests. And my guests today are Kirsten Shockey and Christopher Shockey. They are the co-founders of Ferment Works, where they did educate people about fermented foods. And they are also the co-author of multiple books about fermentation, including miso, tempeh, natto, and other tasty ferments, a step-by-step guide to fermenting grains and beans, which came out in June 2019. And fermented foods are gaining global attention lately for their amazing flavors and health benefits. But Kirsten and Christopher already have 20 years of experience in the field. So today we'll discuss how they got into fermented foods, why fermented foods are so good for you, why fermented foods you, uh, what fermented foods you can make in your own kitchen, and much, much more. But quickly before we start, Japanese is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify and subscribe to Japanese. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Also, if you have any ideas about the topics of the show or show guests, please let us know. You can email us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org or akikotema.com. Now let's start a conversation with Kirsten and Christopher Shockey. Hello, Kirsten. How Chris Christopher. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful to be here. Yeah, great. So I'm so excited. I, you know, I heard a lot about you guys, so very excited to have you. Um, okay, so first of all, where are you from and what did you eat when you grew up, both of you? <laughs> I guess I'll start. Um, we are currently from Applegate, Oregon, which is in southern Oregon. Um, we've been living there for 21 years. Um, I grew up all over, all over the place, all over the world. My dad is an anthropologist. Wow. Yeah, so we, um, I was born in the Northwest, but then I was a kid while they were in school. We lived um, in upstate New York. They went to Cornell. And then we lived um, for a few years on a tiny island in the Moluccas of Indonesia. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and that was in the 70s early 70s and then we lived in Germany we lived in Holland we lived in Arizona um, so that's part of why I think I really wanted a farm of my own mm. <laughs> and so I grew up eating foods from all over the world and because of my dad being an anthropologist there was no option you ate what was put before you because I learned from a, ver- a very early age that um, food is how people share themselves, their culture, their love. Um, and so it's, you know, mm. not something you say no to when people are sharing food at the table with you. Right. So, so proven historically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. So very different from Christopher's upbringing. Yeah, I'm, I'm exactly the opposite. So I grew up <laughs> in the Midwest in a farm town. Um, we ate 
meat and potatoes, boxed cereal for breakfast, um, <laughs> and casseroles with mm. canned soup. And the only thing, the only time I ever saw different meals were at, at church social or a picnic where someone would bring something exotic, like maybe a taco salad. <laughs> that was very exotic. <laughs> that, was, that was the extent. So completely opposite. Um, my family didn't, was not adventuresome in food at all. So um, I ate only three vegetables when I met Kirsten. Uh, corn, potatoes, and iceberg, only iceberg lettuce. And it had to have a lot of... Uh, uh, salad dressing on it for me to sleep. Wow. So how, what's the first date of meal? <laughs> we pizza. Went to pizza. Oh, that's a safe common. <laughs> and I put jalapenos on mine, so he was a little concerned. Uh, no. <laughs> and also attracted. Mm. <laughs> wow. Exotic. So, I mean, it's something you can write a whole book about how you converted Christopher's diet from here to making natto. That's true. <laughs> Luckily, we were really young. And mm. so <laughs> we... Uh, yeah, we had lots of time. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, or I think I should start asking you about, you know, fermentation, because how, how did you get into fermentation then? Um, so we, like I said, we live on a farm, and um, we have a lot of old apple trees. And so Christopher started making cider because we had so many apples uh, every year. And then we had dairy animals, so I started making cheese. Uh, teaching myself there was before there were lots of books about it out there mm. and we didn't really realize that we were fermenting because there wasn't this conversation around fermentation at the time we just I mean, we mm. knew we were using microbes to change things but not the way the conversation is now and then um, my mom gave us a Christmas gift of a crock with the sauerkraut in it bubbling and it was in a box and the kids were wondering why the box smelled funny and, <laughs> and all of that and so um so sh she started us with sauerkraut and that's the first time I think it clicked in our mind um that we were fermenting things mm. and so for many years as far as vegetables we really just made sauerkraut or kimchi but right. but then we had a small fermentation business for a few years mm. so let's go back even before that because like you had a farm. That's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> so you moved to Upgate, Oregon uh -huh. um, to live in the farm, or how did it start? Um, you know, we had little kids, and I think that I realized in Christopher, too, somewhere along the way that that part we homeschooled. Part of what they needed to know was where their food came from. And so we've been motivated a lot by good food and understanding food and so I think just moving out to the land the idea was that they would have a place to explore mm. who they were but also understand even if they never needed it in their adult life just part of their education and so mm. that's what we did but I assume you didn't know farming we knew nothing ah. we have the whole book is should be stories of all the crazy mistakes we made <laughs> yeah. wow and it's a, it's a hillside farm so it's not like we imagine in the Midwest with tractors. Kirsten would not let me have a tractor because it was so steep. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we did everything just with shovels and rakes and, and all hand tools. And so we plant a lot of permaculture style because mm. it's a try to plant things once and let them grow. Right. Yeah. Oh, wow. So Actually, and we love um, the Japanese book, uh, One Straw Revolution, too. Mm -hmm. That yeah. was a big was influence way back oh. when we first were trying to figure out what are we doing here hey <laughs> yeah. right. oh wow that's amazing yeah. so but uh it, do you think it was your intention was to make your living out of farming or i think that was the romantic mm. intention and so all these food businesses were our way of saying maybe this will be the one you know maybe we'll sell cheese um we started building a bakery because I did sourdoughs and we were going to also have a bakery at one time until the building collapsed in a heavy rainstorm. <laughs> so that Sorry. was the end. Of, I don't, no, you can laugh. It's a series of these things. Right. But I think that's when people leave uh, co companies to the romance is to find a farm you know, and have that lifestyle. Mm. So we tried lots of things to try to make that right. work. But it's it's really amazing to even I uh, garden sometimes, but then your connection mm. to nature it's amazing. I had just by touching soil and yes. it's a whole different world. That's huge, yeah. And and 
I think until we moved to to the farm, I, you know, I'd gone my whole life with a lot of experiences and living in very small places, like I said, a tiny island in Indonesia with no electricity, but that was the first time where as an adult I really paid attention to when the moon came up and 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 the you know the waxing and the waning of the moon mm. and and then how that connected to the growing and and all of that so yeah mm. a lot of connection there yeah i believe in the biodynamic it's not a joke right it's like mm. yeah, whoa it's the tide stuff. and everything yeah so. yeah all right so uh the um so I have to ask you, the Ferment Works. So how is the company? So first of all, what is Ferment Works? Well, we named it that because we really wanted people to know that fermentation work, just works. You know, mm. that it is not so dependent upon humans to do it. That they do them by themselves. So to get that idea across that what you're doing is just picking what microbes you want to have an effect on the food, but really that you have a partner or millions of partners that mm. are doing this work. And um, we started out, uh, it came from a food company that we had started where we were making, we built a commercial kitchen onto the farmhouse and we were producing ferments and selling them. Um, but it's a lot of work for not a lot of money. <laughs> and and, and uh, people would come and they were, they were really kind of hooked on our ferments, but they wouldn't have enough money to pay for it. So we started passing out recipes saying, mm. you just need a cabbage and salt. You can do this yourself. And they'd say, oh, you're showing us your secrets. And we would say, 4,000 years people have been making these things. <laughs> this, we did not come up with this. Kimchi has a long history. Mm. And then we realized that we really we wanted to, to affect the most people. We wanted to teach people how to do it. And so mm. Ferment Works is all about education, really teaching. We don't sell products other than the books. We just teach people around the world how mm. to do ferments. I, well, as I said earlier, fermentation is getting really huge attention globally. Mm-hmm. And this summer, I made uh, like you know radish slices and like a little Yum. fermentation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's amazing. I opened the fridge. It's like it's like somebody farted and stuff. Like, it's really <laughs> shocking. And that's supposed to be happening in your body, but uh, you know it's happening instead in the you know that's the, the true. Fridge. That's a that's a perfect way to explain it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, thank goodness it's helping me. So that they help digestions and all those things. But yeah. my point is, though, that it's hard to make... This batch is different from the, the last one. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I thought I did exactly the same thing, but the temperature or something's different. You've so got, You've got different microbes because radishes came from different places. Mm. So many variables, and that's part of the fun. Right, <laughs> but that's what you guys teach. Yeah, yeah. there's some secrets. So. And, and radishes are particularly stinky. Yes. <laughs> so you started out with a very stinky one. <laughs> and I made a cucumber. I was like, oh my god, this is heavenly. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so so the the with the ferment works um, foundational, you know, the structure. Mm-hmm. You just travel around to teach, like you guys uh, do in Oregon as well as everywhere in the world, basically. Yeah, um, so we've been to, just recently, we, we were in uh, Argentina and Chile and Mexico. because Spain? In Spain. So the, the, the first book, Fermented Vegetables, was released in Spanish. So we were going to a lot of Spanish-speaking countries wow. uh, doing that. And some of those countries, fermentation is just starting. You know, they, yeah, it's a very, it's very meat and potatoes in Argentina mm. and Chile. So vegetables are pretty exotic. Wow. <laughs> fermented too and then yeah we were in spain teaching cider and fermented condiments and we'll be in mexico in a couple of weeks mm. teaching as well and then all over the united states we're on the east coast tour but we'd go back and do west coast and some of the heartland again Interesting. There's, there's a lot of people to teach yeah but i, I didn't know that the, the, the south america they don't have the culture of fermentation much as here they don't yeah but it's really exciting because the people that are excited about it it reminds me of being here 10 years ago when it was just getting started Mm. this new wave of fermentation obviously so many cultures had fermentation Mm. in their history and our bodies evolved with fermentation and microbes and so they are important foods to us Mm. but um but we've gotten so far away from it in the last hundred years. Right. And so it's exciting to go to these other places and see, like you said, worldwide people gaining enthusiasm and excitement around right. this. Yeah, I think, uh, for instance, in Japan, I think preserved 
it, it's the fermented foods are used as like preserved food for cold winter or whatever. Right. And it's a lucky thing because it's good for your your body and it tastes good too. So I think uh, having a fermented foods in the culture is enriching whole for culinary. Sure. Yeah. You know, sure. <laughs> yeah. So um, so who are the audience of your workshops? It can be, it's really changed over the years. So I would say uh, 10 years ago, uh, there were people that were coming to it because they were interested in this new thing called probiotics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or their doctors had uh, referred them to say, you need to start eating these kind of foods. And then they're curious. And it's evolved now to, we just taught a, a Koji class of sorts in Philadelphia. And we had people who had never fermented before. And they were starting out understanding koji mm. so it, there and it can be across the spectrum um ages genders it's just 10 years ago um the microbiome was a big word and no one knew what it meant <laughs> and now we'll have little ladies come up to us and say my microbiome i'm concerned about it <laughs> that's where the conversation starts mm. so i think society's understanding more about microbes and that there are good ones and bad ones right. and oftentimes we come there for chefs, it's about flavor. It's mm. a new flavor combinations, and chefs are always looking for the next new mm. taste. So right. you get a lot of that. And it's like a depth, right? Mm-hmm. So rather sure. than adding salt or sugar or anything, it's Absolutely. much deeper. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, so the... Well, much, I have a question, though. So, well, probiotic, for instance. You take a pill, it just passes through, so it does their work, but it doesn't get colonized so what about fermented foods do, do they get colonized or is a cleansing your system um you know i think it's it's interesting so when you take the pill you know you're getting certain varieties that have been farmed right to be in that pill mm. and um with fermented foods you're getting all kinds of varieties ones we know and ones we haven't named yet um and so some of them, we don't even know what the effect is yet in our body. But um, you're right. A lot of them pass through and never and never colonize. I think uh, natto is one of the more interesting ones mm-hmm. because the bacteria natto sporulates. And so the spores can make it through our acidic stomach. Mm. And so that's one that can help colonize. But also... Um, some do make it through. So if you're eating yogurt or whatever, some do make it through to help. Um, but also there's an interplay with their dead, their little dead bodies. Mm. <laughs> That's our vitamin B12. Um, is mm. K2 also mm. that or is it something else? So, That's what the natokinase. Yeah. And so you're, you're getting, you're getting so, so much more. And also the microbes, like you had mentioned, they're breaking the foods down. So everything becomes more bio, bioavailable. Mm. So you just you're getting so much more than you would with the pill. <laughs> right, right. Okay. So because it's live rather than mm-hmm. in right. packaged farms, and- it's live and and it's it's a more wild crew, you know. Instead of everybody <laughs> wearing the same outfit and coming, it's like who knows? It's it's right. like you know going to the New York subway. It's everybody's <laughs> there. <laughs> I'll remember that expression. <laughs> Right, so uh, we will talk talk about more kind of like uh, specific items from the foods later. But um, so you still have uh, the farm in mm-hmm. Oregon, and you still grow things, and you do. So what's your life like? Typical day. Well, there's there's a clear chapter of when we had children on the farm, and now post children. Mm. So this is why uh, farm families continue to have children, so they have free workers. <laughs> and we we stopped at four. So now all the children have left and live in cities. So we don't milk cows anymore. <laughs> so we don't. So we don't milk cows anymore. We don't milk goats. So we, some of the things we used to do when we had child labor has gone away. <laughs> we weren't never good. Um, it depends on the season. So right now in the summertime, uh, the climate's changing for us. It's getting warmer. Mm. Um, harvests are earlier, and we were on tour, so we harvested the gardens uh, before we left. But the beans are still on, so what we'll do, we'll wake up in the morning, um, we'll go out, we'll walk down to the barn, we'll feed the animals that we do have, and kind of check in on where everything is. In the heat of the summer, we're watering things to try to, we have very little water, it all comes from a spring on the property, and so Mm -hmm. we have to manage it very carefully. 
because if we use too much of the land, we don't have any for the house. Right. So it's a delicate balance. So mm-hmm. it's always triage to see who, <laughs> who, who really needs it versus who wants it. And um, when we get back, it'll be harvest. So we'll be harvesting some of the grapes and the beans. Mm, and apples. We'll be pressing apples. Pressing ah. apples and making both hard cider and vinegar from those. And really just starting to, you know, to finish the harvest out. In the wintertime, it's pretty quiet. Uh, that's yeah, when we get all when we come in from the work, you forgot oh, that part. Right. We That's when we're doing our writing or mm. our experiments. or you know, Breakfast first. Breakfast first. <laughs> yeah, and that's <laughs> usually where she slips the natto in first. Oh. <laughs> Breakfast omelets. Yeah, well, that works. Yeah, right? it does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. although I think uh, evening natto tastes as, as good as in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but you guys look amazing so that's how you're exposed to the nature you know the whole i mean including bacteria to sunlight to, yeah you know, i really get impressed i want to be like you guys so. oh. <laughs> well come visit anytime <laughs> yeah i need a it's, it's you know it's, it's very hard in new, york, new york city subway how can you get this healthy bacteria you don't so <laughs> yeah i have to start learning more farming <laughs> okay so um yeah so the What's so special about fermented foods? I think, you know, this is getting really popular now. And what, why didn't people are so uh, intrigued by fermented foods? Like, not just a health benefit, but also some specific, like, you know, it's, it's time-consuming. Do you think people like the process of making it, too? Or um, Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I think part of it is just, I think we're moving into a place where where, you know, maybe post-war and, you know, fast food and everything, we we got to a place where everything was in cans and tasted the same. Mm. And I think people are getting excited and ready for reclaiming the heritage foods and the heritage flavors. Mm. Um, Like I mentioned, we, we evolved with these foods and so many cultures evolved with these foods. And, and it's surprising how often people realize um, you know, they make something from our book and maybe pickles and they realize that that's a flavor they remember from their childhood because their grandmother or grandfather made it and they thought the recipe was gone and now they realize, oh, it was just fermented. That's where they got the special flavor. Mm. But they didn't know that until they started. So I think people are ready for, mm. for that. I think um, people are ready to have their radishes turn out different every time and mm. it's okay you know we're, right. we're moving into that space mm. um, culinary right. braveness <laughs> I like that. is that a word <laughs> it is now yeah it is now um, and also i think uh now you, you mentioned well the recipes are available from other cultures too right mm-hmm. now all over the internet so oh yeah and i think it's super it, it's it's exciting it's exciting to exchange this you know these recipes and and these types of food and and um you know understand each other through food and mm-hmm. and all of that right. <laughs> yeah just like you you how you grew up it's the exposure to a different culture through different bacteria That's yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> right okay so uh let's take a quick break here and when we come back we'll talk about japanese fermented foods that you can make in your kitchen so please stay with us Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese ship knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan-Asian to American, and that is why they are located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view the exquisitely designed tableware and the Welsh natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services, from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit coin.com.
Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats broadcasting live from studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Aki Katayama, and my guests today,、uh, guest today are Kirsten Shaki and Christopher Shaki. They are the co founders of、uh, Fermented Works, Ferment Works, sorry, Ferment Works, where they educate people about ferment, fermented foods. And they are also the co author of multiple books about fermentation, including miso, tempeh, natto, and other tasty ferments.、Um, A, uh, sorry, a、uh, step by step guide to fermenting grains and beans,、uh, which came out as paperback in June 2019. So, we'll talk about the book as well. But、uh, first, let's talk about specific fermented foods so that、uh, we can understand why they are so wonderful. So, because this is Japanese, I want to focus on Japanese fermented foods. So,、um, first, what is koji? You mentioned earlier, this is a magic. Word right、it、now. Is. Yeah. yeah, koji is magic.、Um, so, koji scientific name is Aspergillus oryzae.、Um, and koji is a, is a filamentous fungus or a mold. And what it does is it lays down as it, it, to feed itself, right? It lays down enzymes to absorb、um, whatever's in the substrate. And so, traditionally in Japan, it was laid. On things like rice or millet or barley or even soybeans themselves or for shuyu, soy and、um, wheat.、Mm. And、um, it gets in there and it starts, the, the enzymes start breaking apart the larger pieces.、Mm. So、um, for sake, for example, the important thing is that. The enzymes can get in there and release the sugar that's in the rice.、Mm. Um, because until the sugar is released, the yeast can't get in there and turn it into alcohol.、Mm. So,、um, koji is really important as a first step fermentation, and it gets whatever you put it on ready for the next step. But all over the world now, koji is just people are especially.、Um, You know, people that are really excited about playing with their food or chefs are excited about harnessing the superpower of working with those enzymes because what happens is it makes things more delicious、mm. because the larger molecule or the larger compounds don't taste as good, the molecules, as the smaller ones. So when starch, which is bland, becomes sugar, you know, simple sugar, then we can taste that sweetness. When protein becomes amino acids, they start having umami.、Mm. And when、um, the fats become fatty acids, they also have more flavor.、Right. So that's sort of the quick. <laughs>、mm. Right. So I think、uh, the koji is, it works kind of like、uh, functions better on rice、mm-hmm. than other grains. Is that the right understanding? It just functions um it functions beautifully on rice.、Mm. Um, and I think that koji, so koji, I, I like to think of it as, you know, we have domesticated farm animals and, and domesticated plants, and kojis are domesticated mold.、Mm. And a lot of koji's been grown on rice. And so as it evolved with humans, it evolved really well with rice.、Mm. But um In Japan, too, they're, they're working on different koji's、mm. strains that will work more with protease, or, or, which is the proteins, or more with amylase, which is the sugars. And some of these protease ones now they're putting on you know, all kinds of things.、Mm, that'd be、yeah. great because I think you know, it tends to be traditionally it's only you know, rice or beans related products, and there, there should be more like rye or any kind of quinoa, maybe anything、yeah. that's,、uh, that has.、Um, Uh, carbohydrate does it work、right. with koji? Yeah, and we just、uh, were part of the corn symposium that was here in New York City, I think last week or the week before. My time is <laughs> all confused, and, and it actually works wonderfully on, on corn. We used some heirloom corn and made a corn sake, and、wow. it was very, very sake like, but very corn like. So、mm, it was, it was、wow. fun. Interesting. Yeah. Right. So,、um, so the koji, I think. What I understand is it adds sweetness, like deep sweetness, which you can never get from sugar, right? Just because of the natural function. Right,、oh. it's true. I mean, when you take koji and you、uh, make amazake, you get such a sweetness that people are shocked there's no sugar, but all it's doing is releasing the sugar that's already within the rice. Right. Yeah. So, 
Okay, I wish I one day I could just drink uh, that koji and uh, the corn sake. You're going to commercialize it. I'm sure you're going to be making a lot of money out of it. <laughs> corn sake. Um, so, um, one of the most important products uh, made with koji is the miso. And I think in Japan, every single wife used to make miso by themselves, like hundreds of years ago. Um, so how you how can you make miso at home? Me? Okay. Well, um, so you you our book does explain how you can make koji yourself, but the wonderful thing is you can also buy koji already made, and so you can make miso at home really easily. Um, it's actually one of the easiest ferments out there. It's in a way almost easier than vegetables. If you've bought your koji, you mix koji and your beans and some salt and maybe a little bit of um, pasteurized miso just to kind of set the microbes up mm. and that's it um, so the amount you would add is what kind of miso you're after so if you want a, a sweet white miso it's more koji mm. less beans less salt and less time but if you want you know a long-aged hacho style miso then um, it's actually no koji. The koji's grown on the beans themselves, mm. and it's more thyme and more salt, and a red miso's in between. You have, you know, uh, equal amounts maybe of koji and beans, and a little more salt than your white miso, mm. and a little more thyme. So, it's it's amazing the way in Japan the misos are so varied and such a rainbow of colors, and it all has to do with the ratios of how much koji and mm. how much rice how much beans and how much time <laughs> right. yeah i think it came out of necessity depending on oh. what's available oh in. for sure <laughs> i mean all of our foods did right? right aged cheeses versus fresh cheeses you you know it just it's all necessity right mm. interesting well that's why you know going back to south america they didn't have to preserve vegetables there's lots of meat and you just eat them and you're good <laughs> yeah right but well, there's a whole uh, meat-only diet thing I was curious about. That's, that's a whole other story. But right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, so that sounds like it's fairly easy to make miso. Mm. You just mix them, be patient, leave it for how, how long to minimum how many months? Um, well, if you're making a white miso, you know, you, it can be ready within a month or two. Mm. Um, yeah, you mix them, and I, I forgot to say what's really important is you, you press them in a container or a jar and and add weight um, that way any moisture can, can oh. move out and um, but right. yeah and then if you're making a longer term miso then it can be six months or a year or two years depending on your patients mm. and I heard a color gets darker from like mylar mm -hmm. or something exactly yeah right. so it gets more umami by it does more time more umami and the reason is you've got so when you've added the koji right to the beans what you're adding is um, those enzymes and they're going to break apart the beans and when they do that then the microbes yeast and um, bacteria move in and then they start the fermentation mm. so the longer period of time you have the more time those microbes have to affect mm. flavor with the fermentation right. and then the sugars start browning and that's what you were just talking about and mm. that's going to also give you those deep rich earthy flavors right um so to get white miso how many did you try <laughs> so like you know like it's, it sounds like very difficult to do it right no? yeah well to to do white miso we did a lot with soybeans mm -hmm. um and White miso is nice because you don't have to wait too long to see mm. what the final product is. But then also in our book, we wanted to say this miso is amazing, but you can use any bean. Mm. And so we did a lot of misos with um, yeah, like a teperi bean, which is the only bean native to the um, North America mm. um, that the Papago Indians used. And so we, we did a lot of white misos that weren't necessarily at all traditional mm. but had the same kind of ratios and got some wonderful sweet flavors really yeah, wow it's nice it's fun we have a lot of miso at home <laughs> a lot of miso at home. <laughs> some of it's better than others but <laughs> <laughs> yeah but the miso is good well you can just utilize as an ingredient for not sure just you know yeah. by anything so 
All right. So another favorite, I think, is natto. So what is natto?、Mm, natto. <laughs> you should describe what natto is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about where we came from, different places with natto. <laughs>、mm. um, well, natto is a fermented soybean.、Um, It's a, traditionally, it's a much smaller bean, a bean that was grown for natto.、Um, and it is fermented with、uh, Bacillus subtilis. It's also a very fast ferment. It, you cook the beans, you inoculate them with the spores, and keep them at about 102 to 106 degrees.、Um, so a little, little cooler than yogurt. And in about 20 hours, you have beans that are surrounded by、um, a film, biofilm.、Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where the magic is. But it's also the part that some people have trouble with because it's <laughs> a sticky. <laughs> right. Sticky. And、um, so, vegetable fermentation,、uh, things turn acidic, right? It tastes pickly and, and you've got that nice sour flavor.、Um, with a bacillus. Fermentation, what happens is it's an alkaline ferment, so it goes the other way. And that's the other place that people have trouble sometimes when they've never tasted it before is、mm. it has maybe a slight ammonia smell. Right. But it can, it can taste really nutty. I think it's,、mm-hmm. I think it's delicious.、Mm. But it's acquired for some people. <laughs> right. Well, actually,、um, my father hated it. So up until Recent, like a couple of years ago, I started first time netto. <laughs> it's crazy because it smells. So, my father prohibited from like, no, no netto in this house. <laughs> I think they're really amazing. But to me, if you pick the right brand that you like,、mm-hmm. and there's、um, um, kind of a chemical called the pyrazine, which is also in chocolate and the coffee. And the brand I had. Has a slight coffee smell. So、mm-hmm. I was not offended by、yeah. the smell at all. And I think a lot of people like that coffee, coffee smell when, because some brands, like you said, have it. And you can also make your, make your own and you get those. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When you eat it, what, what do you put? Like, do you add some mustard and things?、Um, oh, I'll add whatever.、Um, I will make a natto pesto and it's really nice. Wow. <laughs> so.、Um, A lot of times, though, I just do a little bit of soy sauce and a little bit of sesame oil and some green onions, and I'll put it on avocado toast or、mm. sometimes yeah. with mayonnaise. Sometimes with mayonnaise. Sometimes with cheese. Sometimes with、mm. cheese.、Um, and then for the book, we, we have a friend who really wanted to eat natto because the health benefits are so incredible, but she couldn't do it. And so she was the one that inspired us to hide natto. So in the book, we have recipes for people who want to learn to eat natto but need it hidden first. And,、mm. and it was perfect because Kirsten and I represent the sort of the two ends when we meet people. So we'll meet people who are Japanese who say, Oh, natto, I quit eating it as soon as I left the house and I've never eaten it again. Or they'll say, People will say, We never had it in the house,、mm-hmm. or I love it, but I don't like The ones that come in the styrofoam containers. Yeah, in the US. it's 100% always from Japan. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's had a hard life getting from there to here、right. in the styrofoam container. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not its fullest. So, when Kirsten will eat it straight out of the jar,、mm. which, which challenges. And for me, in the beginning, I needed to not know it was there.、Mm. Or to not, to, the two things were the.、Um, The filaments.、Mm. So I needed something that I didn't have filaments hanging、right. from my mouth. <laughs> and the second was sometimes the taste. And so we, we came up with recipes where we would take things that, especially Americans, are used to and like. So that's kind of an anchor.、Mm. And we put natto in them. And this is just what Kirsten did to me to get me from those two vegetables to I eat any vegetable.、Mm. When we were first. Uh, dating, she would, she would grind up vegetables and hide it in the meatloaf, and then later said, You ate broccoli. And I said, No, I ate meatloaf. And she said, Broccoli was in the meatloaf.、Oh. <laughs> so we do the same thing with some of our recipes. And then the idea is that as, you, as these microbes go down into our, our stomachs, and it starts to be a, a thing on our cravings, we start, now our bodies are used、mm. to it and they want it. And we don't know why. And so the natto gets to move forward in the theater from the very back.、Right. And pretty soon the natto's in the front of the theater.、Ah, that's interesting. I started to crave first thing in the morning, like, I want to eat the natto. Wake up, and that's what I think of. It's your microbes. Yeah.、Mm. It's not our heads, it's、right. the microbes. So once you start eating these foods, and it happened with our friend 
who we made the balls, the little chocolate balls for with natto in them. <laughs> yeah. She she now can eat natto regularly because she wants it. Her body asks for it. Mm. And so that's really the secret. That's nice. The secret is to get it in your system and so your body knows what it is mm. and starts to crave it. For and all then, ferments, really. Yeah. And, that, and the science would say that then up through our vagus nerve to our brains, mm. that's what we start to crave. So people will start not craving donuts and mm. other things and start craving things like this. And this is how we're trying to help change people's lives wow interesting right wow so yeah. you really can design your mind in a way or yes. diet through what through you through your choose. microbes yeah right. it's it's actually pretty powerful stuff mm. yeah. wow this is like a life-changing moment yeah i have like some flashlight in my head <laughs> yeah um okay so then you mentioned also the health benefit of natto right can you talk more about that well, the, the biggest one is the natto kinase. So it's the, the filament we've mm-hmm. been talking about. And it's the highest food by far, way higher than the next food, which is a hard cheese, uh, for K2. Mm-hmm. And K2 is very important for the body because that helps us uptake vitamin D. So it mainly it's osteoporosis, menopause for women. It allows us to keep the calcium in our bones instead of having that released to our bloodstream. Mm-hmm. And I have a little story we were teaching uh, last week in Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Or, sorry, Cleveland. I keep doing that. <laughs> I have to visit Cincinnati, so the two apart. And um, a gentleman's, it's just a small group, and um, the, we're teaching them how to make miso. And this gentleman says, I know this is about miso, but I want to talk about natto. And we said, okay. And then he said, when I'm cutting a person's sternum open with a saw, I often find, and my first thought was, he's either a, a doctor or a serial killer. I don't know which. <laughs> is. And then I saw that we saw he had medical tags and scrubs. He was a heart surgeon for the VA hospital, mm. and he's passionate about natto because he sees inside people's bodies and he sees how the bones get soft mm. and how that calcium. And he feels people's hearts for a living, and he feels the calcium. He said it feels like eggshells. In people's, in people's veins, yeah. wow. and he knows then that it's going to be a very difficult surgery because they have all this, and so he's just passionate about this food for that very thing, mm. to change that to get people to absorb and right. rebuild their bones. Because the enzymes in natto kinase will actually mm. not only are you rebuilding your bones, but it cleans out the blood vessels wow. of that calcium deposits. Mm. So it's, it's pretty powerful. Right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's a superfood, really. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and that's the, before the show, we were talking about how strong the bacteria are so you can reach through the stomach. Mm-hmm. You can survive the stomach acids. So it stays in you. Yeah. Make you strong. Bacillus right. subtilis is one of the strongest bacteria mm. we know of. It is just a bad boy. It, it will, they say it will exist in space. It will exist in any environment. Right. <laughs> um, it's a tough microbe. Mm. Oh, that's why I heard the sake breweries, they don't bring in natto to the brewery because other sake bacteria is dead. Right. <laughs> yeah, all other bacteria. Yeah, it's interesting because in natto, it's the bacteria you're encouraging, but in so many other ferments, it's the bacteria you are trying to stay far away from. <laughs> mm. Right. So, so that means that unnecessary bacteria in the microbiome can be kicked out mm-hmm. by natto. Yeah, it helps. Our microbiomes are constantly trying to find an equilibrium. Mm. And so, yeah, so think of your microbiome as just everything, your environment, your diet, your genes, everything that you have, but they change. Mm. And so these these steady introductions will change, yeah, what's going on down there. And, And that's why in the beginning, if someone hasn't eaten any ferments and they start eating them, you know, wholeheartedly, Things change dramatically. <laughs> start slow. And then people give up, and they should start small. Just mm-hmm. think about you're you're trying to change that crowd very slowly instead right. of everybody coming in. Yeah, like an earthquake, right, for the existing bacteria. Like, no. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay, so um, so another important Japanese fermented food, um, it's a tsukemono and Japanese mm-hmm. pickles. Mm-hmm. And there are different types, like uh, lactic acid-based or uh, rice bran-based. Or, so maybe you can give us some examples of... Yeah, I mean, Japanese uh, pickling, the vegetable pickling is just amazing all the ways. Um, so one way is um, 
actually amazake or shiokoji based, which is the koji. You're using those enzymes in the koji mm-hmm. to um, quickly break down again those compounds. The enzymes are doing it. It's less about the bacteria and more about the enzymes getting in there. Um, so you can take, let's say, a cucumber or something, and you can drop it into amazake, and mm-hmm. you can get this wonderful sweet pickle after a few hours, or shiokoji, which is um, basically a, a koji mixed with a, a salty brine, and it um, is then fermented for a few weeks, and it makes a delicious mm. sauce, and that's used for pickling. Um, and then, like you mentioned, the, the rice bran, that's, that's a wonderful, it's called a pickling bed, and the vegetables are dropped in this bed, and the whole, it's a whole community of bacteria that are in there. Um, like Christopher said, you know, they've reached an equilibrium and mm. then it's a salty bed and they, they live in there and you drop your vegetables in for maybe an hour or maybe an overnight, depending on how much flavor you want to get. And you pull them out and they've got these amazing earthy flavors. Mm. And I think the beautiful thing about... Um, that type of pickling is these beds are can last for years and years and years mm. if you take care of them and you're just basically taking care of the microbes and so that kind of pickling everybody's involved yeast and bacteria and, and enzymes and they're getting in there mm. um, and then like you said lactic um, pick, pickling is what most people are used to where you're using a salt brine and you're acidifying it with mm-hmm. the lactic acid so yeah there's so many and then miso Mm. miso pickling where you're using the miso and the enzymes and the flavors in the miso to to penetrate the food and you can do that with vegetables or um, one of my favorite is uh tofu Mm. you you, um, cover the tofu in miso and then maybe wrap it with a um, you know seaweed leaf and then put it in your refrigerator for three weeks or a month and then it makes this creamy, wonderful, mm. kind of fermented, pickled miso. Right. So, mm. <laughs> so much. <laughs> right. So the good, good thing is you can make it at home. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Mm. So let's talk about your book because I need your help. So, <laughs> so it came out June this year. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us about the book? Yeah. So it it goes. It's a it's a big fat book. <laughs> it's very heavy. Um, we did a, we tried to educate people a lot on just why greens and beans are so important in our foods and fiber and, and all of that and all the nutrients they have and how most grains and beans with fermentation, it's the best way to take advantage of all the wonderful nutrients they have because mm-hmm. it breaks it down so that our body, body can uptake those nutrients. Right. Um, but the, the good part is I think it takes the reader, if it's miso or koji or tempeh or natto, or there's even a whole chapter on more spontaneous ferments that include dosas and things like that, um, is that it's step by step. Mm. And so it really tries to walk you through it with pictures and, and you know, it, it's more our minds, I think, that intimidate us, but people have been, you know, making these foods for thousands and thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And so... Right. We can too. <laughs> yeah, so I, I saw it's not so tricky, <laughs> and it's it's really step by step. So you know, not the theory, and I can really follow the have the book in the kitchen. I can do it and see what happens. It's more comfort than, you know, like un- concern and uncertainty. So right, it's a great book, and that's that's what we tried to do because we want, you know, somebody in a kitchen and on their farm in Minnesota to be able to do it as well as. You know, somebody in a tiny flat in New York City. Right. So, yeah. Mm. So, um, yeah, is, is there any, any specific fermented food that you want to talk about a little bit? Because I just came out of, you know, of the Japanese, but I, I'm so intrigued by what you're doing. Well, since you're in Indonesia, I think tempeh is a mm. favorite. Yeah, uh, tempeh is, is a really wonderful, unique food as well. Again, mostly soybean, but it can be used... With any with any bean, and even some grains can be mixed in there mm. or um, seeds, and it's it's like koji in that it's another mold ferment. Mm. Um, whereas koji kind of uh, you know is used differently, 
the bean cake is is actually fermented as a bean cake and mm. it makes a wonderful um it can be a replacement for meat or just a wonderful thing to have instead of meat um, because it gives you that fill, filling mm. um, and the textures and it takes on flavors really nicely. So, mm. And a more concentrated protein. Very concentrated, mm-hmm. high quality. We can, we can take it in because, again, that fermentation. So for those people that are like, oh, mold on my beans, you know, you can think of it more like the fungus. It's, it's more like the, a mushroom is growing those beans together. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of mushroomy and beany and mm-hmm. it has kind of interesting flavors. Yeah. I, I love it. Mm. And lately, yeah. mold sounds good to me. Like it used <laughs> to be like something you have to kill, but yeah, it's, there's so many good molds. There are. And, you know, people don't realize, but things like brie cheese and salami and, and foods that everybody loves and is very common also are mold based mm-hmm. originally some of them when they're commercial aren't anymore but right. yeah. yeah we all live together right right we do for yeah. sure we're, we're really just we're all a walking host for bacteria i mean there's more genes of them than us if, if we're gonna say them and us right. <laughs> separate that we still do that i think someday we won't do that anymore we'll just call about talk about us being both of them and so i think when we no longer want to kill every bacteria, that's a good first step. And I mm-hmm. think now humanity is getting into the acceptance of science can now peer in and say, yes, there are many of them, and we're starting to figure out what they are. And I think the next phase is that it isn't them or us. We we have to live together. Mm-hmm. We are them. They are us. And so why not feed them the things that make the most sense? So, you know, Western diet is not bacteria friendly <laughs> well i think uh germ theory you know which was very important in saving so many lives kind of threw yeah. the baby out with the bathwater. you know then mm. we got canning and sterilization and processed foods and kind of now the hope is you know even bigger that this is going to keep keep moving forward and we'll see more and more foods where we get to reclaim the right. the live part of the food <laughs> yeah. and the Japanese culture has so much to give to this you know so many of the things we were talking about came from that culture you know so it in a way it's like a gift to the world mm. and people are now taking these things and and using them in different ways and I think that's just beautiful right well actually being in the states I'm learning more about Hakuji was so influential to the whole Japanese food culture and also our health in Japan mm-hmm. too. So influential. Yeah, so yeah, that's why I'm really learning more. Actually, I think Koji could have been more quiet existence, but because of you or other people who introduced that charm of it to the world, it's being activated. And yeah. I think Japanese people are inspired to make and use it differently. Yeah, that's the feedback that I've gotten is that people are excited actually mm. in Japan too to see oh, wow, we've done it this way because that's our tradition and it's a wonderful tradition and we're still going to do it this way, but but this mold has powers to do other things and that's fun too. Mm, so maybe you can translate your book into Japanese. Yeah. And that would be wonderful. Right? Are you traveling all over Japan? And... I would love that. Yeah, we'd really like, to, I've been to Japan a couple of times and Kirsten hasn't yet, and, oh. but never culinarily. So we would. that's a dream of ours is to, mm. to go there next year and then, find the people that will then take it to unknown levels, right? Because right. if you know it so in, uh, intrinsically inside, you're going to come up with flavors mm-hmm. that we never... And then that then we'll take those flavors and take them around the world. So I'm so excited. I think there could be a great partnership yeah. there. And then after the trip, you come to the show again and talk right. about it. Right. There you Part go. Two. <laughs> There's a plan. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. So, um, all right. So that's your plan. But uh, what are the plans? You're going to... Do more schedule, like, you know, ex- workshops in different places from now? You're going to expand the scope of it? Or what are you I, thinking? I think, I mean, that's what we're trying to do is expand the scope. We'd, we'd love doing live workshops, but mm. we really feel, um, you know, that idea that Christopher was saying with Ferment Works is, is a, sort of the idea of fermentation without borders, and we want to see um, fermented foods coming not being lost in the cultures they're in or coming back to cultures that they've been lost or going to new cultures where they're not at all. And, Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, we're only two people with so many hours in the day. So our hope, and, and we've said this before, but, you know, it's still a ways away is, is we're trying to create some online teaching materials, mm. you know, real courses with interaction. Right. Um, so that people, you know, more than just a video, but where people can really... And the um, feedback, and how can I fix this? Exactly. <laughs> we get a lot of that. We, we get, get a lot, lot of, of that. We get opening email when we see attachments, and you see the word help. What is this? And, you know, sometimes we want to say, let's have breakfast first, and then we'll look at that picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so that's where but Yeah, so I think, I think in sort of to continue continue this journey of of just bringing microbes back into people's world yeah yeah and those collaborations because it's fun it's fun mm. to work with the microbes and right yeah. it's win-win for for you everybody yeah and right. for flavor i mean like the we've talked a lot about health but these foods taste really mm-hmm. good <laughs> i can't agree more yeah uh, that's why it's last four thousand years in many cultures absolutely right. Right. yeah yeah, yeah. So. they preserve they taste they're, they're such a good way to kind of change um, the way we eat and food waste you can save things that otherwise maybe Mm. not and there's just yeah there's just so much there right and when you are making things it's gross right it's not like toast the bread and eat and that's done it's it's it's, we are living it's alive right alive yeah Yeah, that's exciting and and for some people that you know like pets and like to talk to plants they like to talk to their ferments too Mm. you know and check in how are you doing this morning <laughs> oh you smell great today <laughs> well, Ooh, what happened to you last night <laughs> well and even we have a funny story so we were teaching in in um pennsylvania at a fair we were teaching people how to make miso and there were there were soybean farmers who were attending the class commodity soybean wow. farmers 800 acres of soybeans as husband and wife team they'd never tasted a soybean and so they open up their pot and there's the cooked soybeans, and he reaches in, he tastes it, and he looks at her, and he says, "Hey, that's not half bad." And she, well, she she said first, "Are these soybeans?" She said, "Because this looks like what the beans that get stuck in our combine and get wet and rained on look like." And boy, that's how it started in the first place. But yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And then they tasted the miso, and and they said. Can we eat our beans? Can we can we make this with our beans? All these years they've grown the soybeans and they never knew wow. what they were. It was for. just animal Amazing. feed for them, right. and they had no idea that humans ate them and they could be that delicious. Wow! So I think there's that level too. Mm. You know, I, when people say, "Oh, this is an East Coast or West Coast kind of thing," I said, "No, Heartland too. I mean, this right. is a food that's where they're grown." So. Imagine those cultures when they started saying, these are tasty. Right, wow. I think their life's completely different after the moment. Wow. Yeah, they really did have an aha moment. Their <laughs> light bulb. They were shocked. <laughs> and, and they were shocked with the misos because I brought misos for them to taste that, mm. that they could make that right. with their the food they've grown. Mm, and maybe they're building miso factory. <laughs> wow. That would be so cool. Awesome. Right. Yeah. All right, so where can we find your updates online and workshops and books and all the information? So Instagram, ferment.works. Our website is ferment.works also. Um, we have a free e-class that is um, seven, seven days of emails. Seven days, yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, vegetables, not, not, not koji yet. But <laughs> um, And those are, those are the main places we try to keep our calendar updated. And if you get on our email list... We send out when we're going places. Yeah, and, and we've started working with people. So when, for example, Australia or places where there are a number of people say, when are you coming to my, you know, my, my town or my city or my country? Um, and you're going to see so many help. <laughs> yeah. And so we're starting to work with people to say, well, we'd love to come to Australia or Japan or something and help us figure that out. And working with groups of people mm. to put together tours to come there and then just teach what we know and learn from them. Um, it's the fermentation community you might know is so giving, you know, it's some places, if you know it, you want to hide it and hold on to it. Yeah. And fermentation's opposite of that. Everyone's teaching everyone and learning. Mm. Um, so wherever we go, that's what happens. It's yeah. like, it's like the mycelium, you know, reaching yeah. out and <laughs> more people. Right. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. That's a really culture, culture. Right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Culture. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So uh, um, thank you, Christian, Christopher, 
So hopefully I'll see you after the trip to Japan. Yeah, yeah. next year. It was an honor. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. So listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japaneseheritageradionetwork.org or akikatem.com. And Japanese is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. Our engineer today is Jit Paul, and thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Japan Needs is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.